sky and the world wonders why we'll just tell them we're loving our king and lord that's why we're here this morning god is to worship the lamb of glory god to worship the king of kings lord um, we come together lord as one body today god to lift up one voice to you lord to listen to your word and your instruction towards us lord we pray that you would open up our hearts to your word, Lord, and you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you're dismissed to Kids Church. And while they're being dismissed, uh, if you're just joining us today, we're going through a series called The Gospel of the Beatitudes. Uh, it is a series just on the first 12 verses of the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. And so we're looking at those eight statements that he gave us. And each week, we're just taking one a week and looking at them. We're, we're about three weeks away from finishing that. And as I said earlier, we're going to start the book of Ruth right around Christmas, something I've always wanted to do because the book of Ruth is awesome. Amen. The whole Bible's awesome, but Ruth is awesome as well. Well, it is that season. Holiday season, a little pre-introduction. We're going to have lots of meals coming up, right? And there'll be times when you're just snacking all day long. Uh, And some have said little meals throughout the day are good. It keeps your metabolism high. But every now and then, it doesn't hurt to have a smorgasbord of food. Lots of variety. I think uh, back when I was in California a couple years ago, there's a restaurant there called Claim Jumper. Anybody ever been to a restaurant called Claim Jumper? They have a salad bar as big as this gym. Uh, It's literally a meal in itself. You go in and you grab a plate that's as big as the top of this pulpit, and you just go in and you just go to town on salad. And so today, we're going to have some heart-healthy verses. I want you to turn to Matthew 5, looking in verse 8, and I want you to stay there. But we're going to have verses from all over the Bible, yummy, heart-healthy verses. I don't want you flipping around. Just enjoy it. Uh, Just enjoy the verses right, and I'll have you turn to Jude in the end. But we're going to cover a lot today, so grab your proverbial fork, and let's dig in. Father, um... This is your word. It's absolutely true. It's without error. And we are grateful that you are a God who loves us and you did not leave us without direction. You did not leave us without instruction. You did not leave us without ways for us to understand who you are, how great you are. And you, by the power of your word, it's written by your spirit, convict us of our sin. You comfort us in salvation and you compel us to go forward and tell the world about Jesus who is worthy of our hands being raised, who's worthy of our worship. I pray now today as we look at his beatitudes, words from his mouth to us, I pray that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted. And Lord, I hope today we're all comforted. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're looking at the issue of authenticity. It's the pure way of an imperfect Christian, Matthew 5, 8. You may think that sounds interesting. How can you be pure and imperfect? That's just who we are. It's a paradox. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. It's a paradox. You are to be these things. God has shown you his favor, and you are to become these things. The world would look at that, and they'd say, that is absolutely crazy. But we're not crazy. We're just being biblical. It's the pure way of an imperfect Christian, authenticity, and that's what we're talking about today when we talk about being pure in heart. There's a New York Times article called Authentic, Get Real. 
And it just talks about how all, it's kind of the buzzword today. It's, it's as overused as the word awesome or love. Uh, I saw a card at the grocery store yesterday just about um, a relative being awesome. I understand what they're talking about, but there's really one that's awe-inspiring. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that idea about love. I love chocolate cake. Do I really love chocolate cake or do I enjoy chocolate cake? And so this word authentic gets thrown around in TV reporters where I'm just trying to be authentic. Uh, Politicians just want to be authentic. It's a misused word today. It means genuine, bona fide. Uh, There are some who have baseball cards who they have the authentic, original card of Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle. They're antiques that are authentic. Authenticity, it's the cry of the younger generation. They detest hypocrisy. Uh, They don't like this play acting. Uh, But where our culture goes wrong is they stop short of believing that. They think authenticity, this is what they equate it with. Authenticity allows me the freedom to express myself. This is just who I am. But the Bible says authenticity is evaluating ourselves before God and not men. That we rightly see ourselves in line with God and then presenting ourselves to the world in light of that godly evaluation. In fact, I saw this on the internet. I thought it was a great visual aid for you. I'd rather be honest than impressive. And that's what the world needs is a bunch of honest Christians. Uh, It doesn't need perfect, in quotes, fakers of Jesus. It needs honest followers of Jesus. And that is the idea that we're looking at today is authenticity. And the core of authenticity is honesty. The core of authenticity is honesty. And so you're going to see pure in heart today. It means what it means, but we have to see it in light of who we are in the fallen world in which we live. And so we're looking at Matthew 5, 8, the outline for today. If you're following along, is we're going to look at happiness of soul, those of us who are blessed by God, honesty of heart. We're going to look at purity of heart and what that means, all in light of the hope of heaven, that we will see God someday. And so let me begin with some background verses. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall be, uh, for they shall see God. But here's where he's coming from. Jesus knew his Old Testament. And he was probably thinking of Psalm 24, 30, 24, 3 and 4, who said, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And look at the next phrase in Hebrew literature, especially in the Psalms, the, the, the parallelisms describe and define for us. And so this next phrase shows us what it means to be pure in heart, who does not lift up his, his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And so you see those elements of honesty coming out. And then David said in Psalm 51, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart or a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so you see this idea of being pure before God as having all our sins blotted out. And finally, Asaph who was struggling. He was looking out into the world. He was seeing the world around him and he was struggling, depressed almost. And this is what he says in verses one through three. Truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so you see this idea of envy in in Asaph. 
was affecting his pure in heart. This emotion, not rightly placed, was affecting his purity of heart. And so you get honesty before God and others. You get this totality of forgiveness, and you get the reality of our feelings. All of that goes into the purity of heart. So let's look at Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to break that down. Blessed. This is happiness of soul. This is if you are a believer, you are blessed. God's favor is upon you. You did not earn it. You do not deserve it, but you are blessed. You are now truly happy. You are fortunate. You are favored by God. Amen? And this is more about God's reputation than ours. When we see, man, I am blessed. It is praise God. He has shown me favor. I did not deserve it. I did not earn it, but he has blessed me. And so the Beatitudes in and of themselves are a paradox because they show us God has made us this way. And we look at this and we evaluate our lives and say, well, maybe we aren't this way. It's because we need to progressively get more like we already are. And so we looked at the first one, poor in spirit. And we saw that those who are poor in spirit literally are those who are dependent on God. They are beggars of God. They realize in and of themselves they give nothing to God and they receive everything from God. And then there are those who mourn. They rightly see their own sin, the sin of others in this fallen world we live in. And then the meek, those are the humble, that those are not spineless Christians, but those are humble Christians who are confident in God, that they neither build themselves up or they try to defend themselves. They just realize, I am in Christ and oh, how how blessed I am. And then there are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are those who go out and they seek and they pursue God and godly things. And each week we see ourselves, yeah, I see a bit of that in me, but I see some of that that's not in me. And then last week it was blessed are the merciful. And then this week, I think this one, if we see it rightly, this is the most freeing of all the Beatitudes. Because if you're like me, you might have been brought up, and it was never fully said like this, but you're brought up. Those Beatitudes are just like check, check boxes on a list. And if I check them off, then God somehow loves me better. Especially when it comes to pure in heart. Because I want to see God, and so I've got to earn my purity of heart to see God. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not what this means. And so happy are those who have a positional standing before God that is pure and who are progressively becoming holy. And so let's break this down. What does pure mean? Pure means clean. Clean. Uh, You saw that in, in, in Psalm 51. You saw that in Psalm 24. It's the idea that when we do our laundry, we want it clean. We want it without spot, stain, and wrinkle. It's the idea, gentlemen, if you're here with your wife, you put something on their finger, it was a diamond. And you didn't want to get them just any diamond. You wanted to get them a clean, pure diamond, right? You remember those C's that we learned? Carrot, cut, color, clarity. Oh, yes, those days were the size of the diamond. Or the facets. I didn't know. I learned this week there's 58 sides to most diamonds. And then the color. We didn't want yellow. We wanted white. And then clarity. That's the point. We wanted it without imperfections. And there's this idea when you're looking at a diamond that it's eye clean. You can look at it. You can see it. And it looks clean. But then you take the little magnifying glass. Do you remember that? And you start looking inside and you see that diamond. And you're like, hey, I don't want that one. There's something wrong with that. And you go for the purest. And so, baby, I got you the purest I could afford. (laughs) 
as clean as I could get it. And so purity means clean. It doesn't mean conformity. Because it isn't just an outward purity. You'll see it's purity in heart, pure in heart. It's not just outward conformity. And that's where I think what has happened, at least when I was a youth and when I was growing up, uh, I got that confused because I was looking at cleanliness and I was thinking, seeing it as conformity. Well, if I, just, if I just button up a little bit and if I just mind my P's and Q's, then I'll be pure in heart. C.S. Lewis helps us with this. Purity is not to be confused with conformity, but it's a transformation. And here's what he says in his book, Mere Christianity. Niceness, wholesome, integrated personality is an excellent thing. So don't ever hear, we don't want you to be nice. We must try in it by every medical, educational, economic, and political means in our power to produce a world where as many people as possible grow up nice, just as we must try to produce a world where we have plenty to eat. But Lewis shows us something here. He said, we must not suppose that even if we succeed in making everyone nice, we should have saved their souls. There's a lot in Christendom that we said, if we just get them moral, then they'll go to heaven. And that is just not the case. A world of nice people content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. Oh, how true that is. To sit with somebody who's broken over their sin or who, quite honestly, they, they love their sin and they know it and they're not defending themselves is much easier than someone who thinks because they're nice and moral, uh, they need Jesus. For mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people, even here and now, and will, in the end, improve them to a degree we'll not yet imagine. So we are always progressing, and one day it'll be, we'll have glorified bodies. Wow. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to to produce better men of the old kind. And I think that's good. You see, the Bible serves as kind of that magnifying glass to the diamond of our heart. And Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That purity runs deeper than just our outward moral conformity. Does that mean we aren't obedient? Does that mean we just reject obedience? No, no, no. But why are we obedient? Dr. Tim Keller says, True confession comes when we, we repent of the sin beneath the sin. And that we go further and it's not just I did wrong, but why did I do wrong? What were my motives in that action? And so the word of God points and shows us the intentions of our heart. And so we aren't just pure in action. There are many nice people who look good on the outside. In fact, in the New Testament days, they called them Pharisees. And Jesus had a word for them in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so Jesus had strong words for people who were just merely conforming to an outward obedience. He wanted purity of heart. And so let's talk about the heart for a little bit, right? Physical heart, left atrium, right atrium, left ventricle, right ventricle, four parts. But in the spiritual world, there are three parts to your heart. If you're a note taker, you want to write this down. There are three parts to your heart. 
Intellectual, that's your mind. Emotional, that's your emotions. And practical, that is your will. Mind and motion and will in the Bible always is what makes up the heart. I could do a whole series on the heart and just deal with the heart. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, it talks about the heart. And those are the three components. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. And what he's saying is love the Lord with the totality of your being, the heart being, the core, the center, the motivational piece that includes the mind, that includes the emotion, that includes our will. And so what Jesus is saying here when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying blessed are those who are clean, blessed are those who are pure to their core. Blessed that when they go down deep into the, uh, the deep parts of their inner being, their heart, they are pure. They're right. And even more so, they are, they are honest. Because any one of us, if, we're, if we look at ourselves with honesty, we'll say we've got a long way to go to being completely pure in everything that we do. More often than not, we just limit, we limit purity. When we talk about it in the Bible, oh, we're just talking about sexual immorality and anything to do with sex. Not so in the Bible. It goes to mind, it goes to emotion, it goes to heart, it goes to will. It's not just the lust of the flesh. And so we're, we're talking about being honest. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 15 and 18, they honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They say, I love you, God, but they really don't. They, they worship him, but then they teach the doctrines of men. They teach their own tradition. This is what really makes you holy before God. If you have your shirt tucked in, you're holier than the one who doesn't or who forgot his belt, whatever that is, right? If you have your hair cut a certain way, if you go to church a certain number of times, if you do this, this some of you are rejecting Jesus here today Because you've been taught that you have to be morally good to earn favor with God. That that is why you're And then you see a hypocrisy in Christians and you say, but they're sinful and they're calling me to be perfect. I don't get it. So I'm going to reject Jesus. And I'm here today to encourage you to say, those of us who know the Lord Jesus and who are honest and authentic about it say, oh, oh, I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. My sins, past, present, and future have all been wiped clean. I'm, I'm positionally pure in heart, but I'm progressing in holiness. Maybe that's a more inviting message that you don't have to be this way before God loves you. Is No, God loves you. And he sent Jesus to die for your sin and you trusted in him. And then you start fresh and new and you're transformed like Lewis said. Not just into taking the old man and making him nicer, but you're a new creation. And so it's about honesty. Authenticity is about honesty. It's about being pure. It doesn't mean perfection. And I think that's a huge thing for us to understand. It doesn't mean perfection. Great commentary on this verse from R.W. Glenn, who says, Bottom line, Christians are not fake. We must instead be honest, honest with other people about our struggles, our sins, our weaknesses, our flaws, our mistakes we've made. We should not pretend to be anything better than we really are, though we do do that nearly constantly. We are tempted to wear a different mask and play a different role according to each occasion. Ask yourself then, does anyone know the real you? 
Do you ever take off your mask before others? How about the pious mask that you wear with church friends? Do those outside the church ever see you depending on God's grace, or do you appear to think that you have arrived at some spiritual high point? Now, here's the key to this. Do not think after all that purity of heart means having perfect or sinless heart. David wasn't perfect or sinless, and God restored to him a right spirit. Paul said, and he understood, I am a wretch. And we'll look at that here in just a second. But he said he was blameless before God in the law. So it's not just moral conformity. If that is what you think, that is, that you think purity of heart is sinlessness, then you do not yet understand what Jesus is talking about. This beatitude is another great irony of the Christian faith. A person who has purity of heart acknowledges before God and other people that he is not yet fully pure in heart. That's authenticity. Hypocrites refuse to admit this. They lie to God, to themselves, and to other people by suggesting that they are something they are not, that they are better than they really are, that they do not currently or desperately need the Savior, poor in spirit, who speaks and embodies beatitudes, that they do not themselves need rescue. But to be pure in heart means you have the courage to admit to God and yourself and other people that you're as bad as you really are and that your heart is impure and you need continual cleansing from the Lord. That is why we have uh, 1 John 1, 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all sin and give us that perfect righteousness. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. In this sense, the pure in heart is suspicious of itself while it acts generously towards other people. That's worth reading again. In this sense, a pure in heart is suspicious of itself while being generous towards other people. Like Thomas Watson said, the hypocrite suspects others and has charitable thoughts of himself. The sincere Christian, pure in heart, has charitable thoughts of others and suspects himself. The pure-hearted person always holds out hope for others because he knows how much he himself needs hope. This is purity of heart. And so when it comes to those three chambers, so to speak, we need to be intellectually honest and we need to to not be double-minded, as James says. We need to be open and say, this is what the Bible says. I either believe it or don't. Emotionally, we need to get to a point where we say, you know, I may feel this way, but this just may not be reality. Instead of having our emotions drive what we do, we say, you know what? Maybe I'm seeing this wrong and maybe my feelings, just like Asaph said, maybe my feelings are off. I was envying the wicked. I almost went off the edge and almost punted the faith, but then I got back into church and I looked up at what God was doing and I looked up at the saints and he said, how could I ever be envious of the wicked? And we need to be practically honest. We need not be deceptive. That is one thing in our house. Uh, Several things will get uh, severe punishment in our house. Uh, Lying and physical violence. Lying. If you lie, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You lie, you're going to get punished because there is one person who's the father of lies, and we tell them every time, who's the father of lies? Satan. That's right. And you're acting more like Satan than Jesus. We don't lie. And so at the core of our being, what we believe and how we behave Are we pure in heart? Do we have honest, open hearts before others? Because here's the joy, here's the hope. We have happiness of soul. God has saved us by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We have hearts that are pure, positionally and progressively getting better. And there's this hope. Blessed are the pure in heart for, there is the cause of this joyful state of being, for they, the pure in heart, shall see God. Amen? And that means, in Greek, it means see. 
God. It means literally you and I will see God. And some of you are saying, oh, but I know Exodus 33, it says this. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. No, nobody in their sinfulness sees God and lives. They would die. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see in a mirror dimly. Kind of make it out. It's kind of like earlier. They'll be in here in just a minute. I saw Ben Zamora over. I kind of made out his shirt. I'm like, oh, we're twins. We're Twinkies today. And I walked over. His was blue. Now, had I not been colorblind, I would not have made such a silly mistake. But I saw dimly. And we see dimly. We get glimpses of it. But then face to face. Is that not the greatest hope I could ever say every week? One day you get to see Jesus face to face. Every week. I'll just say it for the rest of One day you get to see Jesus face to face. Now we see in part, and then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. Then we'll get it, because the one who has always gotten it will be right in front of us. First John says it best, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are, we are, everybody in here who trusts the Lord Jesus, you are a child of God. You don't have to earn your childhood. Lawson was born on May 29, 2008. He didn't earn to be a Rumley. He just is a Rumley. That's pretty cool. Right? That's pretty cool. He didn't earn anything. He didn't have a choice in the matter. He was born into this family, and that is what it means for us to be Christians. We're children of God. We didn't do anything. We're born into the family of God. So we are. And the reason the world does not know this is it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Romans 8, will be conformed to his image. That means one day we'll be like him. We'll be able to stand in his presence and not die because we shall see him as he is. Amen? And here's then the hope. And everyone who thus hopes in him What do you do? You purify yourself as he is pure. And so that is what we do. That's what we do uh, until then, until we see him face to face. We need to put on our gospel glasses. Psalm 119.37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless, literally looking at detestable things, impure things, and give me life according to your ways. And we need to put on our obedient shoes. How do we walk? We knock not by sight, but we walk by faith. Eyes of faith walk in purity and we pursue people as well as holiness. Look at this verse. This is a great verse. I'd never seen this before. Hebrews, I have it in the New American Standard, 12, 14, and 15. Pursue peace with all men. Amen. We'll look at that next week. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the sanctification without no one We'll see the Lord or the purity without any. So we're to pursue peace with men and purity. That's what, if you're to be ambitious in life, it is not making a bunch of money in the stock market. It is not owning half of whatever is your favorite state. Your pursuit should be peace with men and purity. And watch this. This is fascinating to me. Now read this verse. With, it says, see to it that you and you alone don't come short of the grace of God. See to it that you as an individual don't come short of the grace of God. Oh, that's not what it says. See to it that no one. Do you know what no one means in this 
That means everyone. Purity is a community project. I ask you, are you in community and are you seeking peace and purity with those in your community? See to it that no one, we're to see to it individually that no one, that's all of us, comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up, causes trouble, that it may, that it, it many, and by it many be defiled. Community is a, purity is a community project. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One day we will see him. We will see the creator of the universe. We go outside, and especially this week, every single day, it's been like frigid in the morning, and then like you can tan in the afternoon. I've never been in any part of the world like that. It's absolutely beautiful. You have your parka on, and then you're running in short sleeves. Beautiful. We'll see the God who created that. Amen. You go outside and you see these mountains. Uh, We were driving yesterday, uh, uh, just an hour away, and you just look up and you're like, that is spectacular. We'll see him. So, so you just made, you just spoke it in it. Yeah, no big deal. We'll see the Redeemer. You mean, you mean to tell me in, in 1994 and, and you saw me and you saw me, a blithering idiot in my drunken stupor, down in Dallas, and, and you love me? And that you, by your grace, would, would, would choose me and turn aside, turn an eye away from my sins because you looked through Jesus on my sin and, and you would save me? Wow. So he's the, you're the creator of the world and, and you redeem me by your grace alone. And we'll see him who, as Hebrews says, upholds the world by, by the word of his power. So, so you're telling me you could have, October 27th, you could have taken me out. Heart could have just stopped and you could have brought me home. Could have. And you didn't? No, I still have a purpose for you. Wow. But, but at time you, you saw fit to t- remove my father from my life so that I would give my life to you. And I don't know how it's going to happen because he's God, but we'll all get that sort of conversation. I, I don't think it's going to be this uh, big congregation of people and we're just sitting here and uh, you wait in line for eternity. <laughs> You'll be here in a minute. And you may be saying, wow, that sounds kind of like me. And, but I still fall woefully short. Well, you're right. This is what the Bible says. Jeremiah 17, 9, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Many people try to say, oh, well, that's, that's not the same anymore. He's, he's replaced it. Yes, he has replaced it, but your heart is still in a body of flesh, and it battles sin. The Lord searches the heart and tests the mind and gives every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so here's what David said in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know it best. You created it. Try me and know my thoughts. See the connection between mind and heart there? They're not separate. We're not just working. Well, I'm working on my mind today. Tomorrow I'll work on my heart. It all fits together. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. See, if you don't, if you believe that you've had this new heart replaced and it's never deceitful, then you don't need to pray that prayer and you start bifurcating between Old and New Testament. And that just doesn't happen. And you're saying, well, that was Old Testament. Show me the new. I'm a New Testament Christian. No problem. This is what Paul says in Romans 7. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's Paul. The apostle, 13 letters, used by God mightily. Here's what he goes on to say at the end of that chapter. Wretched man that I am. He's at the end of his rope. He's poor in spirit. He's mourning over his sin. And he asks a great question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's crying out and he says, you know who's going to deliver me? Jesus will deliver me. So the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's always been the same. Grace alone by faith alone is what makes us pure in heart. And it's from that pure state that we can pursue holiness. It's the pure way of an imperfect Christian. And so he delivers us to a new position. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. It's a transfer. He did it. And so, saint, beloved, let's praise the Lord together that we are positionally holy. That when God looks upon Gary, he looks through the lens of Jesus and he sees a perfect, pure, and holy man. But saints, beloved, I would encourage you that you and I are still sinners, progressing towards holiness. We have not arrived, but we have a hope to look forward to, a heart that is becoming more pure, and a happiness of soul that nobody here on earth understands. They don't get it. And they're seeking their joy in other things. And so that is the message we carry, the good message. And here's the beautiful part of that. Turn with me to Jude. I told you I'd only have you turn one other place. It's right before Revelation. I want to show you that the way you and I pursue holiness, the way you and I pursue righteousness, the way you and I hunger and thirst and we're merciful and we mourn is because it's already been done and we're operating from victory, not for victory. So much, so many pastors, good intentions, teach these moral commands without grounding them in grace that we've gotten this culture of moral Christians who may not even understand the gospel. But I want you to see it in one little letter in 25 verses. I want you to see what bookends this. And so if you look at the first two verses, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and this should give you great hope, kept for Christ Jesus. It's a done deal. That's past tense. That means there's no losing your salvation. That shouldn't allow you to live this anti-moral life. It should say, wowzers, I want to give my all to this one who has kept me for Jesus. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And then if you go down a little, he talks about false teachers, but right there in 20, he says, but you, don't be like these false teachers, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves, present tense. You've been kept and you're to keep. Well, which is it? The Bible is so confusing sometimes. It says it's, it's a done deal, but we, that's exactly it. That is the Beatitudes. That is Jude. That is the whole Bible. You and I become what we already are. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and there is your hope. But Chad, I'm just at a point in life where I, I just don't know if, if I'm 
worthy or I I just don't know if I, I can do this anymore. Well, look at the last two verses and that's where we'll end. Now to him who is able to keep you. Maybe you're trying to do it on your own. Maybe in your life, you've seen your Christian life as pulled myself up by my bootstraps, misquoting verses of perfection. And maybe I'm trying to do it on my own when it's, now he who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, this is why I end here, blameless, pure, before the presence of his glory. And he doesn't, he doesn't do it begrudgingly. Uh, this is Chris Kehoe, I kept him. He does it with great joy. This is Chris. <laughs> Enter into the joy of your master, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We are his prized possessions, Titus tells us. We're authentic. We're real. We're his works in progress. We just need to be honest before God and others. And one day we will be like him. Father, what a joy, what relief comes from knowing that you're to be pure in heart is to be honest before you and others, trusting in your good work through Jesus that makes us pure. I pray, Lord, now that every person in here would be encouraged that they don't have to earn their righteousness, that it's imputed to them through Jesus and that they display it through their obedience. Help us to fully understand that. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to see our positions as pure in heart, progressing towards holiness without which no one will see you. We praise you for the good work you've done in our lives. I pray for anyone in here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Might this be the day that they, you break their heart to trust in you. I pray for those in here who trust the Lord those who have been trusting the Lord longer than I've been alive and those who have trusted the Lord less than a month, I pray that you would strengthen them in grace, that they may operate from a position of favor and you might use them mightily. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what better way to talk about purity of heart, right? These little rascals aren't necessarily sinless, but they are less uh, complicated than we are. And so they're coming in, pure in heart, and they're going to present for the next few minutes. Jed and the elders for letting us come up here and just kind of share what we're doing and just kind of want to give you guys a little presentation of what we do. There's going to be some uh, audience participation that will be required here. Um, otherwise, we will tell them that you will give them snacks all day and that. So, um, so we're going to have some fun today. We're going to worship. We're going to do some worship songs, some kids songs, but we're also going to do some other, other things in that. And so um, the first thing we're going to do 
is, let me see. We're going to do a fun song, all right? So we're going to start out with One Way. Ready, guys? We crank it up. Times it's you I see 